0: Uh, Friends, if you've got an outline there, um, uh, the outline has changed slightly, so I'll um, bring up the three points in just a second. Um, But also, if you can um, be taking notes, uh, if you can do the lap juggling thing, that would be great, but please keep your Bibles open to Acts chapter 1. Have you ever watched a TV show called, What Are They Doing Now? It's the kind of TV show that's on like one of Channel 7's second channels that comes on about... 11pm at night, right? Really popular. It's one of those TV shows that goes back and they find famous people who used to be famous like 10 or 20 years ago. They try to hunt them down and they find out what they're doing today. So I thought we could play a little game tonight of what are they doing now? So um, I'm not going to ask for people to call out, but um, Jeff Wiggle... Think to yourself, what is Jeff Wiggle doing now? Does he own a mattress shop? B, is he a barista? Or C, does he still perform with the Wiggles? The answer is, believe it or not, C, Jeff still performs with the Wiggles. When they go on Great World Tours, he is still at work singing and performing and doing things behind the scenes. Okay, next one. Is for uh, some older people in the congregation, Stuart Diver. So about 20 years ago in Threadbow, there was a massive landslide. It was absolutely tragic. Eighteen people lost their lives. One person survived, a guy called Stuart Diver. And for, I don't know if you remember this, but for seven days on the TV, we had daily updates about this guy trapped under the rubble. Will he get out? And he finally got out. What's Stuart Diver doing today? Is he a TV personality? Does he work at Threadbow, you know, the place where the landslide was? Or is he a high school teacher? It's actually B, he still lives and works at Threadbow, believe it or not, the place where the landslide happened. And lastly, David Prouse. This is the guy who played Darth Vader, but they changed his voice to James Earl Jones. Does he own a fitness business? Is he a movie director or is he a driver instructor? uh sadly a couple of years ago he passed away but before he did that he owned a fitness business that is before he played Darth Vader he was actually a bodybuilder what are they doing now friends have you ever wondered about Jesus what is Jesus doing now I mean it's been 2,000 years since Jesus rose from the dead so what has he been doing filling his time I mean last week while you were at school or at uni or at work what was Jesus doing? It's an important question because if Jesus is on holidays in heaven, you know, sitting with his feet up on a cloud, how we live today doesn't actually matter. It means I don't have to answer to him or anyone for how I live my life. And this world is just kind of on, a, on, a, on train rails without a driver heading towards the apocalypse. But if Jesus is alive and at work today, then the way that we live actually matters. He can give us true, lasting joy, hope and peace. And also, there's work that he invites us to participate in. You see, over the next four weeks, we're going to uncover what Jesus is doing in the world today and how we at Church at 6.30 can be caught up in that work and there's no better place to answer that question with acts chapter one you see acts chapter one just like a star wars movie opens with the scrolling yellow text telling you what to expect acts chapter one is like the preview telling us what to expect with the rest of the book and it introduces us to three key truths for the rest uh, about the risen lord jesus and so they're going to be our three points tonight and they're different from your outline. The first point is Jesus' work continues, Jesus' work is spiritual and Jesus' work is hands-on. So let's go to the first one, Jesus' work is, continues. Have a look at verse 1 with me, Acts chapter 1 verse 1. I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Notice that Acts is the second volume in a two-volume work. The author expects that Theophilus, the guy that he's writing to, already knows everything that came beforehand. That's because the first work or the first volume is Luke's Gospel. Chapter 1 of Luke's Gospel tells us that it's an eyewitness account written to Theophilus so that he may have certainty to the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. And also notice in verse 1, Luke says that his first volume, Luke's gospel, is all that Jesus began to do and teach, which means Acts is what Jesus continues to do after his resurrection. So what did Jesus do after the resurrection? Well, Luke actually ends his first volume by telling us. He says in Luke chapter 24, he, that's Jesus, said to them, this is what I told you about what I... when I was still with you, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead and on the third day and repentance and the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. So what does the resurrected Jesus tell us that has been fulfilled? Well, verse 44, all that was written about him in the Old Testament, all that was promised in the law, the prophets and the Psalms, all of that has been fulfilled in his death and resurrection. But what hasn't been fulfilled? Verse 47, the preaching to the nations, that forgiveness of sins is now possible through Jesus Christ. The resurrection reality today, That as Jesus is raised from the dead, God declares that those who have faith in him and repent of his sin can be fully forgiven and made right with God. And Jesus' work continues here on earth. As humans declare to the nations, calling people to faith and repentance so they may be made right with God, not based on anything that they do, but solely on the death and resurrection of Jesus. Which means... Luke's Gospel and Acts actually have the same central theme. Uh, Think about movies, right? Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows Part 1 or 2. The Avengers, Infinity Wars and Endgame. Top Gun and Top Gun Maverick. Different movies, separate volumes, but the hero is the same. And it's the same with Luke's Gospel and Acts. Different books of the Bible, separate volumes, but the hero is the same. Which means the central theme to the book of Acts is the risen Lord Jesus. You see, as we read the book of Acts, the danger is that we lose our focus. We might focus on the apostles and think that the central theme of the book is how do I reach unreached people groups? Or, or we might put a spotlight on the Holy Spirit and think that the book of Acts is like this manual for what I should expect of the Spirit today. Or we take the descriptions of the early church and we use it as a manual for, what I think, for how I think church should be run. But when we do that, we take the focus off Jesus and we put it on ourselves. And so the book becomes about my evangelism, my spirituality, or what I think church should be. But when we read it with this central theme, that Jesus is still alive and still at work today, continuing his work well, it helps us to read it as God intends us to read it. It helps us to understand and pull apart some of the tricky passages. And it helps us to keep God's plan and Jesus' ongoing work central to our own lives. So if the book of Acts is all about Jesus' work continuing on earth, what is that work? Well, that brings us to our second point. Jesus' work is spiritual. Have a look at verse 6 with me. you got your Bibles, verse 6. So when they, that's the disciples, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? Uh, It's an interesting question, right? It's actually the last question that the disciples will ever ask Jesus face to face. When they say Israel, they are expecting the kingdom of God will be a national kingdom. When they say restore, they're expecting a political upheaval, you know, for the Romans to be overthrown. And when do they want it? Well, they want it immediately. The disciples have seen the resurrection. They've heard the promise of the Spirit. And so they expect Jesus to use his God-given authority to rule this world through restoring Israel. Uh, Or simply put, their hope is that Jesus would make Israel great again. Yeah? Put Jesus in a red hat, you understand the question. Uh, But Jesus doesn't want political transformation. Jesus wants spiritual transformation that starts in the heart. So have a look at verse 7 with me. He, that's Jesus, he said to them, it's not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see, there will be a time when Jesus returns and brings God's kingdom in full. But now is not the time. And that time is not for any human to know. Jesus' continuing work on earth is so that people may enter the kingdom of God and participate in it. That this would be preached to the nations as he said in Luke's Gospel. And so verse 8, Jesus explains it in three ways. Jesus' work first is worldwide. See, this is a new stage for Jesus' work. Uh, Jesus started in Jerusalem because this is God's chosen city for God's chosen people. He came first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles, but now it goes worldwide. And so it starts in Jerusalem, but then it goes to all of Judea. If you remember your Old Testament, you would know that this is the area of the southern kingdom. Then it goes to Samaria, to the half-caste Jews. If you would know your Old Testament, again, that's the northern kingdom. And then it goes to the Gentiles. That's non-Jewish people like you and me. So these geographical markers will all be ticked off as the book of Acts unfolds. But this commissioning in verse 8 is more than that. You see, Jesus' work continues on earth by uniting all people, that's Israel and the whole world, by uniting them all under the rule and reign of the risen Lord Jesus. The second work, the thing is that Jesus' work is going to be through witnesses. Witnesses. The disciples are eyewitnesses to the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. But you'll notice that Jesus doesn't say, you have been witnesses. What does he say in verse 8? You will be witnesses. For the English nerds among us, he's taking a verb and turning it into a noun. That is, he's speaking of them like courtroom witnesses. So think about a courtroom trial. A courtroom trial you call a witness like I did Luke to get up here and they stand and testify to the truth that they saw and so his disciples they will wit they witnessed the resurrection and they will testify it to people so that they can tell people what they have seen of their own eyes they will testify to the truth of the risen Lord Jesus And so Jesus' work continues through these eyewitnesses as they teach, as they preach, as they proclaim. Uh, As Acts unfolds, we see time and time again people standing up in public places and in private places telling them the truth of Jesus, that he has died and risen again. You see, how do you tell someone about Jesus before the New Testament is written? I mean... You don't have the New Testament to show someone to sit down in a coffee shop and read with them. You go back to the source. You go back to the people who saw it firsthand. And so those people are to go to the ends of the earth telling people the glorious truth that Jesus has resurrected. Lastly, Jesus' work is spiritual. You see, the chief work of the Spirit is to glorify the Son and the Father. And we're going to look at more of this next week when we look at chapter 2. But for now, uh, the kingdom of God is the rule of God set up in the lives of people through his word and by his spirit. Uh, Senior youth, we looked at this at the beginning of the year. Remember God's kingdom? It's God's people living in God's place under God's rule. So the kingdom of God is not political. It's not territorial. It's not an earthly government. It's the spiritual rule of Christ which means it's spread by witnesses, not by soldiers. It's a gospel of peace, not a declaration of war. It's an invitation to come and drink, not through fear or intimidation. And so the Spirit is given to empower the disciples to be these witnesses. And as they proclaim that Jesus has risen and now reigns, it's the Spirit, who will pierce people's heart with the truth of the gospel so they may turn and be saved. So Jesus' work on earth continues through spirit-empowered eyewitnesses going to the nations. You see, Jesus is demolishing any idea that this mission could be achieved through human effort. I mean, consider the situation the disciples are in, yeah? Yeah. Uh, Here are uneducated fishermen. They are relying with the salvation of the world resting on their shoulders. What are they to do? I mean, if I was Jesus, I probably wouldn't pick these people and this plan. But God in his wisdom picks people empowered by the spirit to take his truth to the ends of the world. But the danger is that if Jesus is going to ascend to heaven, then the disciples will move the spotlight off Jesus and place it on themselves. The danger here is that they they might focus on pragmatics, thinking that active planning and good strategies, that's all you need to grow a church. Or, Or they might focus on appearances, you know, thinking about how you look and sound and your cultural relevance is all you need to win people to Jesus. Or worse, they'll focus on abilities, whether that's their own abilities or the abilities of others. Now, none of those things are bad necessarily. But Jesus doesn't want the focus to be on those things to win people to his kingdom. You see, when the focus is on those things and people reject Jesus, they will despair because these disciples haven't lived up to their own expectations So what are they to do? Friends, they're to take comfort in the work of Jesus Christ. They're to take comfort that his plan um, will be accomplished through them. They're not to despair, but to fix their eyes on Jesus and know that he is at work by his spirit and through their testimony. That as they speak in public places, that Jesus is at work by his spirit. In their private conversations and one-on-one as they're sharing their own faith with people, that Jesus is at work in those conversations as well. That they are to know that Jesus continues his work through spirit-powered eyewitnesses going to the nations. And this should empower them to join in Jesus and the other disciples in this great work. But also, it's hands-on kind of work. Not just spiritual, but a hands-on mission. Have a look at verse 9 with me. After he said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. In the Bible, clouds are often images of God's presence and his glory. So in Daniel 7, the Son of Man comes to earth on clouds of heaven. In Luke 8, when Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration in glory and God speaks from a cloud. And in Luke 22, Jesus says this to the high, to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. He says, but from now on, the Son of Man, speaking about himself, will be seated at the right hand of mighty God. They all asked, are you then the Son of God? And he replied, you say that I am. So when Jesus ascends, don't think Jesus is getting on a bus and going home. No, think about a coronation. When a promised ruler ascends to the throne and is crowned king. You see, with an ascension, when a king is crowned, it's not just them walking up the steps and sitting on a throne their relationship to those around them changes in that moment when they are seated on that throne. And here, it's the same for Jesus as he ascends to heaven. You see, it's the Father glorifying the Son. So the risen Jesus is now crowned risen Lord Jesus, and he is the ruler of heaven and earth. Which means this ascension, which Jesus demonstrates for his disciples, is the ultimate declaration that Jesus is Lord. See, how do you know that Jesus can give you true and lasting peace today? Because he is alive, seated at the right hand of God. How can he give you joy and hope that lasts? Because he is alive and seated at the right hand of God. Which also means that he will return. And friends, that we will have to give an account for the way that we have lived our life. What will you say to the risen Lord Jesus when you see him face to face when he returns? We're going to look at that in two weeks' time as Peter preaches at Pentecost. Uh, Now, the assumption that we sometimes make in the ascension of Jesus is that when Jesus is not physically present, it makes him less effective. But, in his, uh, But in this next stage of his salvation work, Jesus' departure actually makes him more effective for this mission. You see, chapter 1 ends with the disciples choosing a new apostle. And what's the criteria for this new apostle? Have a look at verse 21. Peter says this, Therefore, from among the men who have accompanied us during the whole time, the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John, Until the day he was taken up. From among these, it is necessary that one becomes a witness with us of his resurrection. So, what's interesting is that the criteria for the new apostle centers on Jesus. So, verse 21 it must be someone who was with the apostles with jesus someone who witnessed the resurrection of jesus someone who witnessed the ascension of jesus and even their final choice how do they pick verse 24 and then they prayed you lord know everyone's heart show which of these two you have chosen to take place in this apostolic ministry that jesus left to go where he belongs Then they cast lots for them and the lot fell to Matthias and he was added to the 11 apostles. Friends, what's so obvious in chapter 1 of Acts is that Jesus is alive and ruling today and at work. He's managing everything and not in a detached way but in a very hands-on way that by his spirit and through his disciples Jesus continues his work and he's calling the shots. Uh, it reminds me of under five soccer. Um, this year, I've started coaching my kids' soccer team, under five Barney Bees. Barney Bees, Barney Bees, buzz, buzz, buzz. Uh, it's a great team to coach because essentially when you do under five soccer, it's like herding cats. I kid you not. There's no positions. There's not many rules. My job essentially is to stand on the field with them, tell them where to go and when to kick. Sometimes I run a little bit more than I want. Um, but when you watch the professional games, yeah, the professional football games, the coach isn't on the field. He's up in the stand in the coach's box. But the coach hasn't been taken out of the game. He's in the place that has the greatest impact. He sees all. He calls all the shots. And he knows where to send people and what they need to do. And Acts is giving us this same picture of Jesus tonight. You see, before his death and resurrection Jesus was on the field but Jesus has even though he has moved up into the stands he is alive today and he's still calling the shots now ascended to the right hand of the father and given authority over heaven and earth Jesus is more powerful and more in control than he could ever be before and so in the coming weeks as the risen Lord Jesus we'll see that the risen Lord Jesus from heaven heals, that he raises up more gospel workers, that he sends them out on mission, and by his spirit, he will continue to turn hearts to him. By the thousands. Jesus, being at work today in the book of Acts, will call thousands and thousands and thousands of people to trust in him. It's extraordinary. And how do we know that his kingdom is still expanding today? How do we know that Jesus is still at work today? Because friends, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, he has included you in his kingdom as well. That God has been alive and at work 2,000 years later in you. And so Acts chapter 1 is an invitation to join this great work of Jesus. You see, we're not Matthias, we're not the other apostles. We can't do all the things that they did and we're not eyewitnesses. But God in his grace has given us the eyewitness accounts in his word. He's placed his spirit inside of us and he calls us to continue his work today because he is still on the throne, alive, ruling and reigning, empowering people from every nation, tribe and every language to take his gospel to the ends of the earth, even to places as far out as orange. So let me paint a picture for you. What would it look like for church at 6.30 to fill this room in five years? What would it look like for God to grow our congregation to 200 people. That's most of the seats in this room. What needs to happen for 150 adults and 50 teenagers to be part of Church at 6.30 family and meeting together every Sunday? You see, if you're anything like me, the first thing you think about is logistics, yeah? You think, oh my goodness, like... Like Erica and I are having a minefield about growth groups, right? Like we need so many more growth groups and we need so many growth group leaders. We need to do so many more bonfires and we need to get so many more people together. We need more strategies. We need more people serving. We need more people teams. Now those things aren't wrong, but if they're the focus, then what we've seen tonight is that we are taking a human approach to the work of Jesus Christ. Instead, friends, we need to take up our place and our role in his good work. We need to take up these hands-on work of Jesus. To fill this room in five years, we may need to grow in our boldness, in sharing our faith and telling other people that we belong to Jesus. We, We may need to grow in our opportunities, to give people opportunities, to come to church, hear the gospel and respond we might need to grow in our prayer life to pray bigger, bolder prayers, trusting that Jesus is alive and can answer them. We might need to raise the temperature of evangelism so that people that God has put in our life will put it be a burden on our hearts. I also think that God probably needs to grow our picture of Jesus so that we would expect bigger things from him. So as you head off to work this week, as you head off to school or uni, what will you do to continue the work of Jesus? Who are people that God has put on your heart and who will you be praying for? Who are people that you need to simply just tell them that you belong to Jesus Christ? Who are people that you need to... um, Care more about what God thinks of them than what they think of you and share the gospel with them. Jesus' work continues on earth today, friends. He's alive, seated at the right hand of the Father. His work is spiritual. It is through his people and it's hands-on. So will you play a part in this good work? Let's pray. Heavenly Father and gracious God, We thank you that your son Jesus did not stay dead, but that he rose again, declaring to this world that the forgiveness of sins is freely available to anyone who would trust in him. And so, Lord, as as your son continues to do his good work of sending people to the nations, of sending us into our local communities, Lord, give us a heart that burns for people to know Jesus, to turn to him. And so, Lord, help us to pray big prayers, help us to have a big picture of you, and help us to count the gospel worthy enough to share it with the people that we love, not so that we may put the spotlight on ourselves, so that people may be put the spotlight on Jesus Christ, turn and be saved. And it's his name that we pray. Amen.